Friday. This is September 11th. I'm Todd Brinker. This is Back from the Brink. Aaron will be joining us momentarily. So uh, we hope, hope, hope that you are having a good day, that you are safe and you are sound wherever you are. Um, and if you're listening to this on a later day, then, uh, you know, think back on 9-11 and think back about what that means to, to you and yours um, and to our country. Um, you know, it's, it's somewhat of a day of reflection for most of us that were alive when the attacks happened in 2001. Um, but as we mentioned on the radio show earlier, there's, you know, a whole generation of, you know, 25-year-olds and younger who, while some of them might have been alive when it happened, were so young that they have no recollections of it happening. They don't really remember what was going on, uh, you know. And so if you're 25-ish, or younger, it's it's something that happened in a history book. It is something that um, was uh, you know not a lived experience by you. Doesn't make it less valid, but it also makes it less tangible. You know, it's like um, for for those of us who do remember it, it's it's like reading about the assassination of of President Kennedy. You know, it's. I don't remember it happening. Now, there's been all kinds of movies and stuff about that, um, and there have been some things on 9-11 as well, so people can watch that, and that gives you a sense of what happened and the, and the, the tragedy and the agony of the people in the, who were directly involved. But, um, you know, that, that moment of, hey, our country is under attack, our mainland is under attack, and not knowing whether it was going to continue. You know, I live on the West Coast and was on the West Coast as that happened, and for me, it was, you know, watching it on television unfurl and, and happen while I'm waking up. You know, I saw the, uh, the replays of the first plane hit the, the Twin Towers and then was watching live when the second plane hit. And it was, um, you know, we didn't know what was going on, whether it would continue, whether there would be attacks on the West Coast. We didn't know the scale of the attacks and what was going on. And so that Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. So I was just talking about 9-11, and for those who weren't alive, you know, that you study it like a history thing, sort of like uh, people of my generation are aware of, you know, uh, John Kennedy's assassination, President Kennedy's assassination, and there's been all kinds of movies and specials about it, you know, so you, you're aware of the history. But it's a little different when it's actually happening to you tangibly, and you... You know, like when the when the attacks were happening, nobody knew what the extent of the attack was going to be and what what was really going on. I mean, we you know, I I personally was not awake for the first um, attack, but then um, woke up and saw the second one. So I, I was watching replays of the first plane hitting and they were talking about it being some horrific accident when the second plane hit uh, the other tower. And, you know, we didn't know whether there was going to be continued attacks. We didn't know. And there was, you know, I mean, the, the Pentagon was attacked. And, and another plane that was supposed to hit the Capitol building was was uh, downed in, in a field in Pennsylvania. Uh, but, you know, 
I was living on the West Coast. We didn't know if there was going to be West Coast attacks. We didn't know how they were going to continue and whether they were going to continue and to what extent and what kind of weapons were going to be used. I mean, initially it was airplanes, but, you know, we didn't know if there was going to be more or not. And and that sense of concern and dread and, and you know, as you sat there watching it unfurl on the television and tried to figure out, well, you know, what should I be doing? What's the next thing? To, what's what's going to be the next shoe to fall? You know, in that whole situation is part of the tangible experience that those of us who were, uh, you know, adults or at least old enough to remember it and alive at that time have that that you know you don't get by looking in a history book. I I got to be honest. I when it was first starting, I thought I didn't. It didn't sink in what was really happening. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took. And, and I tend to have a delayed reaction to traumatic events anyway as my as I process what's going mm-hmm. on. And I remember, you know, our we had an exchange student living us with uh, living with us, and she's like, uh, you know, this terrible thing had happened. Now the the I was walking her to the to the school bus because um, she was feeling uneasy. At that point, the second tower, or the mm-hmm. second tower had not yet been hit. Right. And I said, I, and I was like, well, it's okay. There, it's, you know, I, we don't know what's going on, but I right. think it's going to be okay. Well, and, and that first one, to, oh, go ahead. And I get back to the house and um, then I watched the second, the second tower get hit. It was like, oh my yeah. God. Well, the narrative on news after the first hit was, this is a terrible tragedy. Some horrible accident has happened. Yes. You know, and that's how, that's, that's what everybody was thinking. It wasn't until the second plane hit that we went, oh, wait a minute, this isn't an accident. We're under attack. Something else is yes. going on here. This is not, yes. this wasn't a, oh my gosh, horrible tragedy. This is, well, it is a horrible tragedy, but this is, this is an intentional thing as, as it started happening again, you know? And so yes. the sequence of events were spaced out enough that, yeah, there was this long period of time. And I mean, long period, less than an hour. I mean, it was, I don't know what the distance between the two hits were, but it wasn't that significant where we weren't quite sure what was going on, you know, and then they grounded all the airplanes, right? I mean, it, there was like no airplanes allowed to fly anywhere uh, until the, we, till we understood what was going on and the yeah. extent of the attacks. Well, and then we had the Pentagon hit and mm-hmm. we had a brother-in-law who worked in the Pentagon and, you know, yeah. so we were worried, is he there? Did it hit his part? Did, you know, what's happening? Right. Um, and then we found out about um, the uh, Pennsylvania airplane that went down. That was later. Um, and I remember the, the, the thing I think that was the most traumatic for me to watch, because everybody was glued to their television sets, yeah. was the collapse of that first tower. Yeah. Because I didn't think that they would collapse. And it looked like a demolition. That is how smoothly it went down. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely went down like you like you see them take down buildings um, I, I think of Las Vegas when they take down some of those old hotels that are, you know, multi-story, big, big buildings, yes. and they all just sort of collapse it in on crumbled. themselves. Yeah, yeah, they don't. And once the once you know they hit low enough on the tower that the weight of the upper tower literally just pulverized everything below it as it went down, and and each piece that fell then added to the weight of what was falling on the subsequent piece, and it literally just turned into powder as it went down and the, yes. and the pictures of the giant plumes of, of basically cement dust uh, billowing down between the buildings because it's like you know I mean anybody who's ever been to New York City when you go between those buildings when you're walking around it's like walking in canyons I mean yeah. you know it's 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 I mean it, it's yeah it's almost hard to describe if you've not been there 
Um, but I mean, it's like walking in these giant narrow canyons. And so the, the dust and everything, you know, went billowing down the street in between these giant canyons. And, you know, and subsequently we've had lots of people who have had all kinds of breathing issues. And in fact, you know, those twin towers were originally built back in the seventies. Um, and, uh, you know, there was lots of, and today even there's lots of caustic chemicals that are used to build that stuff. And, you know, cement dust and, and, and abrasives are not meant to be inhaled. Um, you know, and I, I believe there's even been some asbestos, uh, yeah. you know, in, in that building that was, you know, subsequently in newer buildings, they're not going to have that. But I mean, in that building, there was still some used in ways that they thought would never be aerosolized. Right. Because who who could have thought that somebody yeah. could do that? Right. So, um, I, uh, uh, I, the thing that I remember too was people jumping. Oh yeah. That was so traumatic. And, and you know. they made a decision about how they wanted to die because they knew they were going to die either way. And, right. you know, it made me think, you know, was there no, uh, you know, why weren't there parachutes or something? Maybe they wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but. Why would, you know, because you're literally, you know, reaching into the sky on those things. How many 200 yeah. whatever floors of, of, or more than that on the, were on the, on the tower, in the towers. And so, you know, yeah. was, there were thousands and thousands of people who worked in those towers and, you know, the fire was so hot and they knew there was no way they could get through and they didn't want to burn up. And so they jumped. Yeah. Well, and those who didn't ended up being pulverized in the collapse. So, I mean, it's, yes. it's just you know, pick your way, I guess it's, it's horrible. Um, yeah. Cause they were showing debris, debris and stuff falling off the buildings. And so, you know, the cameras were sort of zoomed in to show you that these large chunks of debris were falling off. And then you started seeing some bodies going with that debris. And it was just horrifying to think it, it was people horrifying. are making that decision, you know, in that situation, you have to make a decision, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't uh, know. I, 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 I am I don't know which decision I, again, you pick, you pick the way you want to die, Yeah. you know, and, um, God, it, I, oh, it's just unimaginable um, right? what, what those people had to go through. And there were whole, like, what was the name of the company? I forgot the name. There was one company. Yeah. There was like an investment banking company and essentially everybody who worked there with the exception, the president of the company, the CEO of the company, uh, had went to a, some sort of like thing for his daughter that morning at her school and so he was late getting in and he survived and and every single person that he had hired that worked at his company it wasn't a huge company but there was like 30 employees all of them gone yeah because they were above the um where the tower where the planes yeah the impact point yeah yeah that um, tragedy tragedy all the way around absolutely all the way around and the number of you know firemen um who running into that building to try to put that fire out and save those people and help get people down they were still in the building i mean it just you know it was um you know i was i was visiting new york uh about 30 days prior to that and had walked over to the um united nations plaza there and had not gone uh i was going to go up to the observation deck on the twin towers and uh, ended up talking over breakfast too long with my uh, traveling companions. Um, we were there on a business trip. And so we just walked over to the plaza and kind of looked up at the buildings and uh, and that big, like, 30-foot diameter globe that they had out in front. And 
I snapped a couple of pictures and then we jumped in a cab and headed to the airport because we didn't want to miss our flight. And so we didn't get to go up in the towers. But that was literally like uh, the month prior. And, uh, and the hotel that we stayed in was like a block and a half away. It had this big glass atrium that you you know, could have breakfast and sit in. And uh, that was all destroyed as the building came down. All the glass was shattered and, um, you know, a block away. Wow. And, you know, I think about that, the fact that I was there a month before and a month later it was all gone. Yep. Uh, yeah, know. Tobin and I have been, Tobin mostly, and I've been kind of not really paying attention, but it's on because he has it on, has been watching mm. NYPD Blue, the old uh, rerun right. of the show. And, of course... They take there are there are shots of the city, you know, as in transition points and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. There's lots of shots of the city, and every time that the towers come up, I, I, I get this knot in my stomach. And it's you yeah. know it's been 19 years, so you think that that wouldn't happen anymore, but it still does. Right. You know because it's it's that day was so horrible. Yeah. No, the level of trauma is is still tangible for those who, like I said, for those who remembered it, you know, live it affects you differently. Um, you know, and it's not necessarily in your day to day, but like you said, I don't think I can watch a TV show that's shot in New York, you know, and if, if they show the twin towers, you know, it's funny because if I see the new freedom tower, it doesn't affect me the same, but if I see old, old video of the twin towers there, I, um, you know, immediately kind of get reflective. Yes. You You can't help it. And there's so many shows and movies and things that have been shot in New York over the years, and they always want to, you know, get part of the iconic skyline, like you said, in one of those transition shots where they're moving from one point to another, and they then show, like, a transition shot of just the city, you know. And so they usually want to show, like, somewhere they want to show off Central Park, maybe the Empire State Building, and usually the Twin Towers is what they used to show off. And, And now I expect it'll be... Uh, you know, the, the Freedom Tower is the one that will be sort of that. And usually the Statue of Liberty. But if you take the, you know, they always get the Statue of Liberty with Manhattan in the background. They take it from sort of the New Jersey side of the river or a helicopter out over the river. And so you see, um, you know, that, that lower Manhattan skyline there where the Twin Towers were. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's a very common shot in lots and lots and lots of movies. Um and so, I think yeah, I think it's important to remember, um, you know, when um, something uh, when something bad happens, um, it's important to remember that it happened. It's important to remember um, how we handled it after, during and afterwards. It's important mm-hmm. to remember the people whose lives were lost um, uh, because it changed the course of our history. Yeah. And it changed it changed a lot of our culture as we talked about on the radio show and, and our approach to policing and how we do, how comfortable, how comfortable we are with surveillance. And, you know, it, it changed a lot of things. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's important that we remember. I agree. I I will add one thing to that though. I think, and this, and I want to say this in, in the most respectful way, because I don't want to imply that we did anything that would, cause or be you know um uh, in any way shifting blame blame is on those who did this but we need to also be aware of how we're being perceived by the rest of the world and what our country is doing and so that that you know there are those who are going to hate us no matter what we do just because we're haves and they're have nots in some way instances right you know and 
And in other instances, you know, there's people who are haves and we're have-nots. I mean, that's just the way of the world. You know, different countries have different resources and, and different directions politically and things like that. Um, but but it still behooves us to try to be conscious of how we are perceived within the world. Um, and sometimes I think that, um, you know, some of our choices for us here domestically aren't necessarily the best choices for us as we interact with the rest of the world. And as much as we'd like to, and I know President Trump has talked a lot about putting, you know, America first, and I don't disagree with the idea of America first on its face, we do have to be aware that we don't live in a, in a fishbowl, that we, we live in a world where there's other countries who have other um, agendas and other needs. And Indeed. we need to be aware of those agendas and needs and how, how we interact with them. And, and I think that, you know, again, I very respectfully don't want to say that we caused 9-11 to happen. But there were a lot of people who are, who are not happy with the United States and the way we tend to flip-flop when we vote in one president versus another. You know, we say we're going to do one thing and four years later we've got a new agenda because there's a new group of people in there. And we tend to be, because of the way our political system is set up, we tend to be a little flighty um, in terms of, uh, uh, yeah, uh, of the way we interact with the rest of the world. And I think the rest of the world perceives us that way. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of consistency over um, in some areas of our of our foreign um, interaction as a country. And that's just part of how we're we're designed politically, Um, you know, and I think there's some advantages to that because then we're not stuck with um, a lot of baggage. Right. Well, the next uh, next group of people comes in and they're in charge and they say, no, we're going to do things this way. But it also does tend to make it harder to make long term agreements with some countries because they're going to say, I don't trust that you're going to you know, honor this in four, excuse me, four years or eight years. Um, you know, and that presents some problems for us. So anyway. Um, Indeed. Hmm. Indeed. September eleventh. So, you know, it's funny when we started the show today. I was thinking Friday, Friday, yay! And I didn't even realize it was the eleventh. I, you know, I had not been paying attention to the calendar in terms of date as much as I was in terms of day. <laughs> I was like, day well, of week, Friday. Of COVID, yeah. Uh, you know, the calendar each day kind of, you know. Yeah, the date has become less. Yeah, the date has become less relevant to me. The day of the week is more relevant to me, you know, because weekdays we're on the show and we're podcasting and we're radioing and we're doing our thing, and um, and weekends we're not. And so, um, yeah, that that I I focus on day of the week more than I do date because, you know, to be honest, the day that what what makes up my day on September 11th isn't all that different than what made up my day on, you know, March 20th this year. <laughs> They're all pretty much fit into the same mold now. Um, it's you true. Know, um, which is, you know, I say that, but, you know, you think about it, that's pretty much true all the time, right? I mean, we all get into a routine with our job. We get up and we go and, we're, you know, the only thing that se- separates them is, you know, weekdays from weekends for the most part. I mean, one Monday is pretty much the same as the other Monday. So I guess I shouldn't be complaining, right? I mean, one yes. Friday is the same as any other Friday. Any I'm not making day. any, like, magical revelation here. <laughs> this is this has been my life, you know, as an adult for quite a long time, you know. When, I mean, you're, it, a kid, when you're a kid, everything's much more exciting. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, it feels more exciting. Yeah. You know, I mean, the only time it really changes is, is, uh, you know, when you get a new job or like, you know, um, seasonally, uh, you know, since I coach high school sports as well, or at least did it one time and hope to again, um, the, uh, you know, the, I would, you know, be in season or out of season on high school sports. So that would adjust what I was doing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I know you miss it, Todd. It's got to be a real pain to not be able to do the sports. You know, yeah. I, you know, talked about it and I just, I feel for you because you love doing it. That's why you've chosen that as your profession. And this is just the pits. Yeah. Yeah. My third profession. Um, but, uh, career numero tres. Um, yeah, but you're kind of a Renaissance man. I mean, there, you so. like to do so many things, you know, and so many things that are, some are tech, some are artistic, some are, you know, creative some are you know you do so many things that doesn't surprise me that you've had um yeah changed careers a couple of times that just seems like you yeah i guess so you know it's either that or i'm you know have attention deficit issues (laughs) (laughs) like i get bored (laughs) yeah yeah it's like all right time to move on um but yeah no you know i get yeah you're right i mean i have i i have lots of interests and and uh and have uh you know i remember in high school taking one of those tests for the counselors give you to say well you know what's a good area for you to, a good field for you to go into because i didn't know you know like a lot of high school kids like i don't know what i want to do so i'll take this test it'll tell me what i'm good at and then i can kind of go where i want and i you know took the test and then scheduled my appointment with my counselor to go over it and so i sit down to talk to the counselor and she looks at me and goes well you did pretty good in everything so i guess you can pick whatever you want I'm like, oh, crap. No, that wasn't the point. <laughs> that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, man. So, yeah. darn those counselors. I think, you know, I remember walking out of going, I think they just tell that to everybody. This is just a waste of time, so they have a job. <laughs> uh, that, there's your, that's your inner cynic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's just like, damn yeah, <laughs> oh my goodness you know oh my I, goodness my son is one of those who always knew what he wanted to do and mm-hmm. and he's he's doing that and and it's things are going on as planned and most people aren't like that yeah most people no. aren't they, they i'm gotta, envious they of of, of that things. to some extent you know um my youngest sister Haley did that too she in high school knew that she she had talked about an athletic trainer and then she started doing a little investigating and said no physical therapy is more what I want to do because I can do athletic training if I want to but I've got options to go in other directions and so she decided back then she was going to be a physical therapist and that's and exactly she what she did she worked her tail off till it happened yep that's exactly what she did and she's still doing it today um but she's you know. not really doing physical therapy she's doing a whole lot of paperwork <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What she didn't realize is that physical therapy, as with a lot of the medical profession, has become more about documenting what you do than what you do. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I was saying that a little tongue-in-cheek, but not really, because yeah. yeah, that's a lot of what it is. Yeah, what do you I think, do for a living? I chart. Yeah, that's when <laughs> doctors and nurses could all say the same thing, right? Dentists, yes, and, exactly. you know, it's like, what do you do? I document everything that I say, do, think, feel. I'm a documenter. That's what I am. I'm a documentarian. Didn't know that when I signed up for this job, but hey. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So, you know, I I think about our kids and the world that that they've inherited 
and you know has the, great sunsets though doesn't it uh, <laughs> the world they've inherited is fires. burning but... oh my god these fires yeah so so um uh i get i'm driving to the radio station this morning and just walking around had me mm. wheezing like crazy because the, the smoke is so bad in Redlands. Oh, yeah, I imagine. I mean, you're closer uh-huh. to it than we are. And I, I'm i probably 35 to 40 miles away from the nearest fire, whether it be the one that's over in Yucaipa or the one that's in Monrovia. So depending on which way the wind's blowing, I'm getting smoke and soot from one or the other. Um, and it's horrible here. I mean, it's just, I, I how is it, you know, how is it people are living closer to it and dealing with the, the chunks of air that are, you know, out their door is beyond me. I feel for you. Yeah, it's um, it's ugly out there, and mm-hmm. the entire West is on fire. I mean, it's not just California. Oregon is is yeah. got the worst air quality in the world right now. Yeah, they said that the smog in Los Angeles is worse than it's been in thirty years because of the fires. You know. Yeah. Wow. Having We'd... lived through that thirty years ago, I know what they're talking about. I know. Yeah. I know. I remember days, well, and they're back, they're back, but it's because of the fires. But I mean, I remember smog being so bad that that they would have literally smog days and you wouldn't go to school like they have snow days back east. We would have smog days and they would say, stay indoors, you know, no, no swim practice today um, and, uh, you know, shelter in place, basically. And, you know, that was because of smog and now they're doing it because of fires. So, except that they don't have to tell people no swim practice or no going to school because they're not going to school and there is no swim practice anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, 2020, yeah. the year that was. Yeah. 2020. Not soon enough. I want it to be the year that was. Right now, it's still the year that is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and did you hear that there was a tiger? There was a tiger, and I think it was Knoxville, Tennessee, that... Mm-hmm. Um, was just wandering about there were reports of a tiger on the loose in knoxville because and i don't know so <laughs> yeah the, the articles guessed, i don't know that they, that they got it but they yeah. were looking there but there have been reports and they were looking yeah. for it tiger sighting um, near knoxville here it is yeah <laughs> see a tiger on the loose was spotted in knoxville tennessee late wednesday night knox county sheriff's office has said sheriff's offices said they were working with the police and animal control and Tiger Haven, a big cat reserve in Kingston, to capture a tiger that was last spotted by a deputy in the forks of the River Industrial Park. Because sure, the Tennessee well, Wildlife love water. Tigers, yeah, tigers love water. The Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency said that separate sighting was reported um, near Thorngrove Pike, but has not yet been concerned whether the animal is a tiger. A trap has been set. If the animal is caught, it will be taken to Tiger Heaven, Haven, Tiger Haven. The Knoxville Zoo said on Twitter that they were not missing any big cats and tigers are accounted for all their tigers are accounted for as of Thursday morning. This could have been somebody's pet. You just don't know. Uh, yeah, Tiger Haven did not immediately not respond. Pets, yeah, they should not. Yeah. So the Tiger Haven that they say they're going to take the tiger to says that they are not missing any tigers either. So uh, they said it appeared to be striped in between 150 to 200 pounds. They said that the tiger was likely a, uh, a juvenile and likely feral since big cats native to the area were typically more slender. Owning a, a tiger is illegal in Tennessee, but that doesn't stop people from owning tigers. So, it uh, yeah, if it's if it's a um, uh, a juvenile, 
it's probably just gotten too big for the owners and either that or it just got out and nobody's going to admit that it was theirs because it's against the law and they will have to go to jail probably or at least pay a big fine um yeah you know um you know who should own tigers tigers. nobody <laughs> tigers should own tigers they should well, be I, I, in I the jungles of india yeah yes I, I believe what's left of them anyway good. I think zoos are good. I think yeah. that, you know. Well, and um, preserves that are run well, you know, the wild animal preserves like the, like the San Diego Wild Animal Park, which is now the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, I think. Yes. Well, and I, yeah. I, I, I group them with zoos. I right. Mean, it's all part of the right. San Diego uh, Zoological Society. Right. Yeah. People so. who understand how to care for these animals, because a lot of them have been you know, spent their entire life in captivity. They cannot be put back into the wild. Um, and, and quite frankly, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, there's probably still thousands of acres, but, but the space that they need to live in is being infringed on in countries where there's huge populations such as India. Uh, and, and so there's not a lot of wild space for them to go back into, um, without overpopulation. And you don't want these animals then saying, well, there's no food here in the forest. I'll go looking elsewhere. So, um, yeah. Zoos. Yeah. So that's uh, crazy news of the day. Don't have tigers as pets. Yeah. Stop it. Just yeah. Stop and if it. you happen to see a tiger trotting down the street, you know, stay in your car, stay in your house, call the police, call animal control. Do not approach a tiger. <laughs> And don't move in any fashion that will attract a tiger because they act just like cats. Things moving and bouncing and jiggling and they'll go, ooh, fun, let's go see what that is. Because <laughs> that's the way cats are. So I'm wondering if they're putting out boxes. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's what you want. Paper sacks, giant paper sacks and cardboard boxes. <laughs> and uh, and every cat in the neighborhood will found, find a place to hang out. Like, this is cool. <laughs> Big kitties. <laughs> yeah, no, that 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 would be perfect, right? You, you, right, it would be. That totally or perfect. arm your arm your your population with laser pointers. <laughs> if you see a big cat, just turn on your laser pointer and start moving the dot around, and then back away slowly. <laughs> oh my heavens! All right. Mm, if only, um, right? Yeah, I know. If only. If beautiful only. animals, though. Absolutely beautiful. They are. They are incredible. I like the, um, uh, to, w when I'm at the San Diego's, that's one of my favorite places is to see the big cats because they're just, I like cats in general and big cats are just amazing. They are magnificent. They, they are really absolutely are. magnificent. Um, you know, I just, uh, my brother wants to own a tiger and I just, <laughs> first of all, he can't have one in his, you know, tracked home. But, um, you know, I, I just, no, no. I knew there was no. a reason he was raising chickens. Those chickens are meant to be tiger food. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I think actually Greta put her foot down and said, no, no, that's not going, no, it's not <laughs> good, going to happen. <laughs> good for Greta. Not going to just, I don't want anything eat. bigger than the hound. <laughs> <laughs> Because they've got uh, wonderful dogs, but they are not petite. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. And you know, you don't need you don't need a tiger. Nobody needs a tiger no. as a pet. No, they don't. 
Yeah. You can go take one of those behind-the-scenes zoo trips and, and interact oh, with uh, those are so cool. an I've animal. That's that as much interaction sense. as you need to. Yeah. Yes. It's the zoo backstage or whatever uh-huh. they call it. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's a, a really cool way to to get a little bit closer to and have a little bit more interaction with than just standing out in front and looking at the 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 uh, animal enclosure. So, and if you really like to see the big cats, then get to the zoo right when they open uh, or stay there till right when they're closing because the, you know it's that change of from morning to night or from night to morning where they're more active. Is you know the that's the time to see them when they're up and around and yes, uh, yes. moving. Because that's um, when they hunt. Yeah. Last time I was at the San Diego Zoo, there was a, um, uh, looked like it was maybe close to full grown, but still a juvenile, you know, that, that, that where they've kind of gotten to full size, but they're a little, little skinny still. They haven't like yes. bulked up yet. So you're not an adult. Uh, tiger walking back and forth, pacing by the window. And I was there with my cameras and, oh. um, and he like stopped and looked at me. I mean, just right in the eye, and I got a picture of that, and it's so awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a similar experience at the San Diego Zoo in the gorilla enclosure where there was a gorilla sitting with his back to the glass just sitting there. And that time when I went, I, I intentionally took a camera that only had a short lens on it. It was like a 50-millimeter lens, and that was all I had. So no zoom, no, you know, you just had to get what you got. And so he's sitting there. And I squat down on the other side of the glass so that I'm like, you know, eye height. And he's maybe, I mean, if if the glass wasn't there, we would be six inches from each other. And as I squatted down, he kind of turned around and he kind of glanced in out the corner of his eye. He saw me there and he turned all the way around and he put his hand up on the window. So I put my hand up against his and the two of us sat there. And I I didn't even take the picture. It was just like, this is too cool. I just want this moment where he and I are looking at each other and we put our hands on the glass and kind of just look into each other's eyes for a few minutes. And, you know, uh, I am I am always amazed at uh, gorillas, not all the primates, but gorillas and chimpanzees, um, at how human they look. Yeah. You know, they have they have expressive faces, and um, you know their mannerisms and how they care for their children, and you know they just mm-hmm. it, they're remarkable. They really are. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if you try to create a hierarchy and you and, and and as humans are wont to do, we put ourselves at the top of that hierarchy. The next step is them, and they are, um, and 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 I don't necessarily even agree with the hierarchy thing, but um, but uh, it's it's absolutely astounding how human-like they are and, really? and how yeah. how you know they have social structures and the way they work within their group and you know there's that one that's always like you know i mean all you have to do is watch them for a little bit and you'll see there's the one that's like the troublemaker the one that's just you know goofing on other people and and, and he's the middle know. child right yeah the, the, <laughs> the, the the tween that's out there you know bugging everybody and and the adults who like roll their eyes when the kid acts like a ding dong you know <laughs> and it's like stop poking at your brother um kind of thing and you can literally just watch them for a few minutes and you you just you see the relationships immediately and i know we tend to anthropomorphize the animals a little bit but with with animals that that like you said have expressions and physical characteristics so close to ours it's hard not to it's hard not to 
you know, it's, it's hard not to. And so, you know, I know that there's animal testing that's done on chimpanzees and that really bothers me mm-hmm. because they are, they are sentient. I, 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 yeah. you know, I, it just really bothers me. I don't like yeah. that. Well, and the more, um, you know, the more we study them and learn about them, the more we learn that there's, you know, they make tools and they, they, they move, you know, their, their social group, you know, they, there's been tests and studies where they, they, they make plans to do things, you know, yes. and, and they and have family structure and yeah, they have, they're clearly know, communicating a, and yeah, yes. it's just, this is not, you know, and, and yeah. we have proof of that because we can teach them sign language. Yeah. Yeah. There's been you know? plenty of them that, that, you know, have conversations and express wants and, and, and needs back to us yes. once they've been given a means of communicating, you know, whether it's sign language or whether it's through a, um, a, a symbol board, um, you know, once they have a means of communicating to us, they do so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, really remarkable. Yeah, and in fact, um, there's a, a chimpanzee uh, enclosure I'm somewhere back east. I can't remember where it was, but I've, I've seen a there was a documentary on it, um, and there was a chimpanzee that uh, essentially learned how to use the symbol board from his mother. So you know, she shared with him how to communicate with us, and so that's pretty amazing wow. step that's as well. That's higher level thinking. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's how you talk to the people who give us food. You know, you want something, you do this. And then they come over and they'll, you know, it's like, wow. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think that's, you know, as, as the, um, general caretakers owe the world amongst all the, the living things here, we need to maybe start thinking about, uh, how we interact with, all those creatures, large and small, which, you know, I mean, I think there's, that's probably the biggest argument for people changing their eating habits like you have, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, if you start, the thing, the Native Americans uh, had a, they, they ate meat, or they still do, and, you know, but they had a reverence for the meat that they ate, and they, they realized right, that right. a creature gave up its life so that you could have nourishment and stay warm and do all the other things that they did with, with the, the, the carcass, you know, right. eat the meat and, and tan the hides and all of those things. And we don't, we throw away so much food and each piece of meat represents an animal that mm-hmm. who's, who's no longer living. And so their life was taken from them to feed us and animals eat each other. I'm not necessarily opposed to eating meat. Um, uh, in, in that way, because animals eat each other, we're just we're just another animal in that way. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, the way we do it is so cruel that that I have a problem with it. So if you go out and you shoot, you hunt, uh, you know, you shoot Bambi or Bambi's mother, and um, you take her home and you clean her and you butcher her and the meat is used and you you know do other things. Maybe somebody would want to buy the hide or you know whatever you do with it. I don't have a problem with that. But if you're keeping mm-hmm. um, Ted Nugent, pigs, pardon, Ted Nugent. There you go. Um, but if you're keeping um, animal animals in t- in tiny crates where they never get to touch the soil, and 
you know, they're force fed or they're fed a diet that's not meant for them because they'll get fatter that way. Or, you know, I, I, and they're all disease ridden and they have no life. I think that's awful. And I don't want to eat a bunch of meat that's loaded with cortisol because the animal is stressed out for its entire life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is, that is literally the, the argument that Ted Nugent makes for hunting. He's a bow hunter and, and all meat that he eats is meat that he hunted, caught, and butchered himself. Um, he he doesn't go to a store to buy anything, and uh, and he's an advocate for that because he says, you know, if you're going to eat meat, then you should understand where it comes for from. You should understand how to get it, and 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 you should you know care about each piece you've got. And if you're out, then you have to go get more on your own. You're not relying on somebody else to bring it to you. Um, and that's his belief, and that's so that's how he lives now. There are a lot of people who say he can believe that way because he's got millions of dollars in the bank and he, it's easier for him to take off time to go out and go hunting when, you know, he doesn't have to get up and drive a bus tomorrow morning. Um, so, you know, I see yes. both sides of that story, you know. But <laughs> we don't have to eat meat. True. True. You don't have to. It's a choice. It's a choice. Yeah. So, and I think we're about out of time. We are. We are. I do want to say, though, when it comes to the meeting as as a carnivore or an omnivore, um, I uh, you can you can purchase your meat and still have reverence for the fact that it, you know, was an animal that was alive at one point in time and and recognize that fact. It doesn't require that you go do that. You know, you can have different beliefs about how you acquire your meat. But, um, you know, and there are ethical farmers. You know, Absolutely. And you're going to pay more for it. Yeah. But there are ethical farmers who have, yeah. who have farmed in a way that the the animal's life wasn't just one cruelty after another. Yeah. Well, and there's actually a big movement. In fact, you can get it in most grocery stores now today for grass-fed beef because cows are, you know, basically grass eaters. And the fact that most meat, most beef is, is corn-fed is the result of a giant corn industry more than anything else. And, and then you have to, you know, basically keep the animal from regurgitating a bunch of corn because that's not what they're supposed to eat. And so their bodies don't handle it very well, but it fattens them up real good. It does. It fattens them up. And so, um, yeah, you know, the idea that they used to say, Hey, it's corn fed, you know, as if that was a good thing is not really a good thing. Um, in the long run, you know, unless you're a beef farmer, in which case, it's a great thing. Um, so, but not if you're a cow or a cow not eater. Not if you're a cow. Not if you're a cow. Again, I'm I'm not against eating meat. I'm really not. Right. I'm just against unethical and cruel and evil farming practices. Right. Well, and I, I am a meat eater, and, and I, I I too am against unethical and cruel farming practices. Um, and you know, when I can, I try to buy. You know, like I said, the grass-fed beef you can now get in, in grocery stores, which means, you know, essentially that they're pastured. And you can get pastured eggs now, too, so that they're, you know, they're um, chickens that get to go out and walk around on in grass and, on, and, and, and peck at the ground instead of being raised in a cage. So, But you make those choices and you pay a little more. You do. You know, and that's something that I can do. I understand there are people who are counting every penny and can't afford to do that. So, And I don't begrudge them that, you know making the choices either. they make so you gotta do you gotta survive 
Yep. So you got to get to work. Speaking of survive, so I um, do. happy, healthy breathing out there on this September 11th. I hope that uh, that you uh, uh, don't struggle too much in the smoke and the haze, and have a great weekend. And uh, thank you, you too, and we'll all of our listeners too. Back on Monday, everybody. So thanks for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.